0: So we actually scheduled a meeting, and we had to go to New York in the midst of chaos. Like we, yeah. we didn't even have money to fund the, the trip. We had to sell a what do we sell a dresser just to be yeah. able to eat. And we we had we were on the bagel diet three days <laughs> three times a day for like a week, totally. Which is not bad when you're in New York. I mean, that's not bad to have bagels all the time, right? So we sell a dress. We get the meeting. We borrow money
1: for a plane ticket. And then we go to New York,
0: town. and we're like, we're like, okay. If we can land this private label deal, this is a huge uh, brand in the US. If we land this private label deal, we're going to be set. And then I'll go ahead and let you talk.
1: Yeah. So we thought that. And then we also, you know, at this point, like our house was, our mortgage was behind. We were like, we were eating pasta, like because we couldn't afford like groceries.
2: Join us in Mixing Business with Pleasure, a podcast about loving your work and working with your love. Your hosts, Mike and Gabby, are entrepreneurs who have found their passion in both their personal and professional relationship. The pair who swore never to work with each other are now working happily together side by side in love, life, and business. Tune in each week as we feature co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together.
3: We love talking to couplepreneurs who have built successful businesses, and one of the keys to a successful business is effective marketing. Luckily, Gabby and I run a B2B digital marketing agency called Proofpoint Marketing. Our team specializes in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas, and using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. We are offering a free consultation for our listeners. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you.
4: Hi, everyone. We are so excited to have Jennifer and Michael Gallagher on the show today. These guys have an incredible story that I am so excited to dive into. And just so you know, they are the creators of the world's first aphrodisiac bar, the His and Her Bar. And Mike and I have our bars. We tried them last night and they were amazing. Love them, love the texture, love the the, the taste. I love that little kick of cayenne pepper at the end. I feel like this would go really great with a bottle of wine and I think Michael is going to tell us some good wine suggestions on this oh, show. Yeah, do, you, do you
3: have uh, some wine pairings to recommend? Oh man, we could go <laughs> Pinot
0: Noir, we could go Cabernet, maybe even a little Merlot. It all depends <laughs> on the mood, right?
4: Well, let's kick this off. What came first, business or love? Love.
0: Totally. <laughs> do you tell, wanna- us,
4: tell us a little bit about your love story. Okay, do you want me to start you, want to start?
0: you know what, I can start with that. Okay. Jennifer's really good with the, with the business story. But, <laughs> so I was in the military and me and my friends were on the beach and I see Jennifer on the beach and I tell my roommate's little girl who's only two to go over and, you know, kind of toss the football at Jennifer's feet. <laughs> A 2 year old will do whatever you tell them to do. Next thing you know, I'm talking with Jennifer, giving exfoliating sandy massages on the beach. <laughs> And the rest is oh history my gosh, that's
1: <laughs> like, it's actually the truth it's like the exfoliating thing is no joke like basically so when michael started talking to me like i was with my sister and my best friend childhood best friend like known her since i was with birth and then my two cousins which happen to be guys and so i was like wow you're ballsy to like do that but um i right I, I he, he doesn't like,
4: know if, if you're related to them or not unless you guys yeah. look look the same but yeah, yeah. that's
1: yeah I go, hey, uh, these are my cousins. Like, it's not like we were, like, lovey-dovey together. You know, I was not doing my own thing. And I was like, these are my cousins. And we were all going to get something to eat. Like, it was around lunchtime. And then when Michael and I started talking, I was like, you know, guys, I'm good. Like, I'm going to hang out with – I'm going to hang out here. I'll watch the stuff. We don't have to bring the stuff with us. And that's how the standing massages started.
0: I feel like, like, there – I didn't feel like there was some territorial – Situation, you know, so like, I guess I don't know if it's a guy thing or maybe it's just a, a, a human thing. I have no idea. I just didn't feel like there was an issue. And she supposedly says that I followed her into the water, which I don't know if that's true or not. He did.
1: <laughs> and then he tried to kiss me and I turned my head. Yeah. Because I mean, it can't be like so easy. I mean, I wanted to kiss him but... You're
0: making me sound like <laughs> no, no Michael is
1: like, no, he would, he like, literally, he. He did follow me in the water, and then he tried to kiss me. It was, like, really romantic, but at the same time, I was like, I just met you. Like, I can't just kiss you right now. I fell
0: forward. The waves were crashing.
4: (laughs) Well, I love a good beach story, and especially if the beach is part of the love story. That's amazing. Were you guys living in Florida at the time? Michael, yeah. Okay.
0: I was. Jennifer was. not. I
4: was
1: actually in. I was in my senior year at University of South Carolina, and so okay. I was. My cousins at the time were living in Jacksonville, and so it was like I think it was. Oh, it was Fourth of July weekend, mm-hmm. and we were there just for a couple of days. I was taking summer classes because I was just. I had transferred, and I was like trying to get everything done, and I had a break, and so we went there for like the Fourth of July, the long weekend.
4: I love that. Well, let's uh, segue into a little thing that we always do. It's called, uh, What's Your Favorite Four Letter Word? So, work and love are both four letter words. So, we'd love to know what your favorite four letter words are.
0: Oh, man. You know what? I got to, I mean, the only thing I can think of, we just talked about it in the intro, but how about wine?
4: <laughs> I love it. Nice. Love it. I got a lot of
0: other things I could think of, but hey, why not wine? <laughs>
1: Well, I was going to, it's funny across from us right now, we have a thing that says dream, big dreams. I was like, dang it. Dream is not four letters.
0: I think I know. Um, I think I know one for you.
1: What? What do you know? Can I,
0: I'm going to let you say it.
1: Um, well, I
0: mean, I'm going to let you say something and then I, I know you're going to love my answer for you.
1: I mean, I love, love and work, but also I think that, um, see a lot of my words are like, Oh man, that's hard. What's my word?
4: Well, I'll, t- I'll give you guys a little secret. A lot of our guests have cheated on this question, and they've either said three-letter words or five. So we will be flexible, and we will say you can do a three- to five-letter word. <laughs> I I, I th- what
0: I, I think her favorite four-letter word, which has nothing to do with, with me, but, is Macy, our little oh, multitude. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, of course. M-A-C-I, <laughs> Macy. For sh- that was... Why didn't I say that? Yeah. She's She's our chief furry officer. So we also have Rusty, our Beagle. But
0: that's not four.
1: But that's not four letters. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, no, I would say that. Or I would say dream. Like, I mean, I think that for me, it's just I'm all about like passion and going after your goals. And I was just trying to think of like a word that came with it. Maybe in the middle of the of the conversation I'll be like, Wait, I
4: thought of it. I love it. Dream big and drink good wine. I think that's oh. that that's that should be the motto. In life, there's the right? episode title. We're that's good. It. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Awesome. Well, I wanted I just want to get right into it because your story is so good. And I think that it's a story that it needs to be told because as entrepreneurs, so much of what we go through is trial and error. And there's ups and there's downs. And sometimes there's a lot of downs and they really suck, and they come at the same time, and they really test us. They test our fortitude. They test our resolve, and you know when we work with our significant other, they test our marriage, and they test our relationship. Just to kind of set the stage, Jennifer, tell us a little bit about how you transitioned from corporate to owning your own clothing business. Michael, tell us a little bit about your role and your position there, because I know you you are former military. You became a firefighter. So there's a lot of intricate details in this story. And I want to get into it. And most importantly, I want to share with our audience the challenges that you went through and how you maintained your relationship through those times, because I think what you went through would test anybody and would put anybody very close to the brink of. Of a lot of things, you know, mo- and and sometimes even saying, gosh, why am I even with this person? Like, <laughs> do we even get along? Can we run a business? If we can't run a business, how can we run anything else? Right? Right. So if it's okay with you guys, I'd love to start there and really get into the heart of your entrepreneurial journey. So
1: Michael, when we married, like, he didn't sign up for the entrepreneur role, right? I graduated at the University of South Carolina with a degree in marketing. And I did it to make my parents happy. I didn't do it really – I didn't really – I wanted to just get away because I was like, my parents were really strict. And so I just wanted to like get out and experience life and not be under strict rules and all of that. So I did go to college and you know, I got the degree at the end of the day. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to make a lot of money. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I grew up with my parents arguing over it and I knew I just wanted to be like financially free. So I started my first job, I actually graduated in 2009, which was like in the middle of a recession. And at the time I ended up having two jobs just to get everything going. I ended up, I was working at this golf course and I got this connection for my first corporate job and it took me a couple months to get it, but I finally got it. And I remember I thought I had like arrived, right? I was like, yes, I've arrived. Like I, I made it into the corporate world. My parents are so happy and like, Oh, I'm the perfect daughter. Woo. You know? And, uh, I quickly found out that I was absolutely miserable. And, you know, I tried to convince myself that it would otherwise, but over time, it just really started to become clear to me. And it was just a transition of, you know, a couple of jobs and I always did good in them. Like I performed well, but then when I started to see like the true colors of either the, the way that they were running things and I didn't agree with it, or I just started to lose interest, then things started to go downhill and then I would start getting pulled in the office and it's like, what happened? You started to do this, you know? And so I would just have to like, which, which by
4: the way, I can totally, totally uh, c- commiserate with you. I've had a couple of corporate jobs that I thought were, oh my God, this is the mecca. This is where I've reached like the pinnacle of my career, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna succeed. I'm gonna climb that corporate ladder, and I realized very quickly that 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 corporate culture was not for me. And it was very stifling and it was very unrewarding. And I, little did I know that I had an entrepreneurial bone in my body. At the time, I didn't know that. But but anyway, I just wanted to quickly say that I so um, resonate with what you're saying. And I think a lot of people that are stuck in corporate gigs that they don't like, don't realize that it's not a path that everybody has to take. So I'm glad that you said that. And please continue, because I want to get into this.
1: We definitely have this in common. And I think a lot of people do, right? They think that one thing is right for them. And then they're like, no, this isn't the right thing for me. And that's what happened to me. So I like evolved. I was trying different jobs, thinking it was something wrong with me. And then I came to realization that it wasn't me. It was like, I mean, it was that I wasn't meant for this. So in January 2015, I cashed in my 401k and my savings. I left my six-figure corporate job and I went all in to create my first business which was an activewear brand. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I was going to become an overnight CEO. Everyone in my like job at the time was like, what are you, "Where are you working?" I'm like, "For myself." overnight CEO. So I started the journey and I made patterns and samples in New York. And I spent a lot of money really quick, like three grand. And I didn't know any better, right? I was totally taken advantage of in the industry. And I ended up with 12 samples that I never put to production. So that was a big crash course in fashion. And um, I I realized quickly that I couldn't afford to wholesale if I didn't find a different manufacturer. I could not afford to do that in New York. And so I found somebody, I went to the wonderful world of Google, and I found somebody in South Florida. So I met up with him and he was my first manufacturer. First of what? Four. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, Over the course of three years, I went through four manufacturers and that's just the way the industry is, right? So you, you know, you may get lucky, especially if you have a connection, but I didn't know anybody, right? So I had to kind of go through a few bad apples to get to good ones. And it's not that, you know, the first one was necessarily quote unquote, a bad apple. It was just higher prices um, I think he was pivotal, pivotal. Uh, I can't talk. Pivotal in my you know journey because he had the contacts that I needed to find for like fabric and all these different things, and he was in essence a middleman. But then when I learned the industry more, I didn't need the middleman anymore, and it was time to cut my costs down. And so that's what I did. And so it was just like like you said before, you know that that business was like a series of a lot of ups and downs and everything in between, and. You know, I learned that I couldn't be couldn't just press the online store is live and all these people are going to buy. Mm-hmm. So what happened was I made a really big mistake where I made a bunch of inventory without orders to back it up. Don't ever do that. If you want to start a clothing brand, it's like a no no I didn't have orders to back it up and I ended up having to do a bunch of trunk shows. And that's where Michael started helping me. We did like 22 trunk shows in one month. I was setting up all these events at places just to get by and just to push these orders. Right. Because I was like, crap, I've got like thousands of dollars of inventory and I can't even do anything with it, you know, unless if it sells. So yeah. And then you, Michael was like, just basically, I was logging boxes, like one place to another to another. And I think the thing is, you have to learn how to pivot, right? Once you're, your feet are to the fire, I'm like, there ain't no way I'm going back to corporate America. I'm going to make this happen. And that's what I was like, I was determined to make it happen. And I did have decent sales, but the thing about the clothing industry that I knew, but not really, I didn't really pay attention to as on the outside until I got in the midst of it is they want new, new, new 24 seven. That is a very capital intensive business. And we never took out investment. We took out a bunch of credit cards after the, after the savings and the 401k wiped out, then it was credit card rounding funding time. And I do not recommend that. But when you're also in the midst of it all, you kind of have no choice. If, unless if you're wanting to just throw in the towel. I wasn't quite ready to throw in the towel. I wasn't quite ready to pivot and I was going to give it my all just to make sure that I could do everything in my power to try to make it work and also prove a lot of doubters wrong. That's just how it is. Like, you know, I had a lot of people that were like doubting.
4: So, so that was, that was 2015. And how long were you in the business, in the clothing business? So
1: technically, like we officially closed it last year, but like really 2018 was like the end of it. I mean, what would you say? 20, uh, 2017 was when at the end of the year, and we'll get into it, like is when we hit our rock bottom toward the end of the year, mm-hmm. um, middle to the end of the year. And that was when I realized that something was going to have to change. I didn't know what was going to have to change, but I knew we couldn't keep going on like this anymore. So that was when the downward of like, the brand started to change and we knew that there was going to be a pivot that was going to be necessary
0: yeah and where where i kind of cross in there so obviously you mentioned i was in the military in 2015 i started looking for jobs in in florida to be a firefighter i got certified as a firefighter i got hired on at one job and i wasn't able to connect with the guys in the department and i thought well i you know maybe it's me or maybe i'm not doing good enough and Then I get hired on in another department and the same thing starts to happen. And next thing you know, I'm like questioning if this is even what I should be doing in my life. And about 10 months into my employment as a firefighter, I was actually let go from the service. And the crazy story is like the day I was let go, I was on my way home and I was stopping at the gas station to get gas. And I hadn't even told Jennifer what happened. I didn't even know what our next move was. And I'm at the pump. And I look at the top of the pump and there's a rock on the top of the pump. And it's like, it doesn't look like it belongs there and it's got writing on it. And I'm like, well, this is weird. And so I grabbed the rock and it's got a, it's got a message on it. This is a true story. And the rock said, just when the caterpillar thought the world was over, it became a butterfly. Now, I, I know that sounds kind of cheesy, especially for a firefighter, but look, at the end of the day, we believe that everything kind of happens for a reason and, and everything happens for you, for example. And so I just took that as a sign that we were going to be okay. And I immediately started helping Jennifer with with the business. But like she mentioned, there came a point where we just, it it wasn't working anymore. And in the midst of chaos, what better thing to do than what you love? So I traveled across country to Napa Valley to work in the wine industry, which is how I got connected in the wine industry. And that's what led us to Scottsdale where we live now.
4: Wow. Wow. You guys, I literally have goosebumps and I can't even tell you the synergies in your story that, that rock with the message. So, yeah, so speaking of the message, I wanted
3: to bring it up because it, it's yeah. funny and I'm, I'm kind of like you where I am, I'm the last person to kind of be like the, the sentimental sort of superstitious type person, but uh-huh. Gabby's laughing because it's completely, she knows it's true. I don't want to get into our story because that's going to take forever, but our daughter was born really premature in 2015, interestingly. So we were in the hospital for six months. And in the first month when things are really critical, we ordered, I think it was sushi or was a Chinese? Chinese, I don't remember, it was a fortune cookie.
0: cookie,
3: right? Open up the fortune cookie and it said, um, Gabby, do you remember what the, the message is like? Said, uh,
4: your family, your family is... will come
3: first this year or something like that. It was like very like, wow. wow, okay. Like how often do you get a fortune cookie that actually means anything and makes sense? So it was a very similar kind of story. We were like, okay. So I actually, I still have, I laminated it and I still have that in my wallet. Uh, wow. But anyway, so I just wanted to throw that out there because there's there's a lot of similarities to what you guys are describing.
0: I was just going to say, I think a lot of people that are listening, like if there's something that's coming to people's minds, I think that you should actually pay attention to that because I think a lot of times things are happening around us. And like I said, like we always look at things, whether it's good or bad, we have to interpret it one way that it's happening for us. So like if there's people that are listening and they're like, Oh well, um, I remember this one time. Really look into that because yeah. there's a reason for that.
4: I couldn't agree with that more. And and that whole story about the butterfly, the the caterpillar to the butterfly, is so symbolic to us because our daughter was born very significantly premature. She was in a you know in a little isolate in an incubator, and one of our nurses in the neonatal uh, unit said to me in in a moment of you know my mother mother desperation worried about this tiny little fragile child and she said don't think of it like this is you know this is not i don't remember the exact words but she said um your baby's in a little chrysalis chrysalis and she's going to emerge into a beautiful butterfly yeah wow. and the the symbolism of the butterfly is is an important thread in our lives. We decorated our daughter's room in a in butterfly motif and and I would buy her all sorts of butterfly shirts as a tiny little baby. But like Mike said, this isn't about us, this is about you. Uh,
3: I'd love to ask a question about you know, just jumping back into the the business side of things so you know you you ran it for about three years, right so twenty fifteen and twenty eighteen Was there ever a period of time where you felt like you're about to turn the corner like was there a period of time where you're like okay this is we fixed whatever the problem was this is gonna work out i do i, think, I mean I think
1: a couple it... you want to talk about you want to talk about the last new york trip
0: i was actually going to talk about the last new york trip so yeah. so when we when we were trying to figure things out it was focus on the business like 110 percent, right well i'm not afraid to call people and like try to get in touch with like, people at the top I don't really fear those kinds of things and so somehow I got in touch with a uh, one of the biggest cycling chains in the U.S. and they were looking to add on um, they
1: were potentially looking for like a private label private opportunity.
0: label opportunity and so we actually scheduled a meeting and we had to go to New York in the midst of chaos like we yeah. we didn't even have money to fund the the trip we had to sell a what do we sell a dresser just to be able to eat and we we had we were on the bagel diet three days (laughs) three times a day for like a week Totally. which is not bad when you're in new york i mean that's not bad to have bagels all the time right but when
4: you're in new york bagels are good but anywhere else is like don't eat the bagels yeah
0: (laughs) so we sold so we sell a dress we get the meeting
1: we borrow money for a plane ticket and then then we go to new New york
0: and we're like we're like okay If we can land this private label deal, this is a huge uh, brand in the U.S. If we land this private label deal, we're going to be set. And then I'll go ahead and let you talk.
1: Yeah. So we thought that. And then we also, you know, at this point, like our house was, our mortgage was behind. We were like, we were eating pasta, like, because we couldn't afford like groceries. Like that was our diet for the most part, like carb diet. Um, And it was- I don't know
4: how you guys look so good on all those carbs. Seriously. (laughs) Tell me your secret because I love carbs and I don't look as good as you guys (laughs) do. I think we were doing a lot
1: of running, running, de-stressing and all of that. So, cause running is free, right? So we could run and work out. So we were like, running outside, that was like a stress reliever. And yeah, we were just eating all, we were were carb dieting it up. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, yeah, we we sold the dresser, we get there, we stayed at my cousin's apartment in Manhattan and we thought like, okay, like Michael said, this is our moment, this is our turning point. So we go there and we knew like, okay, let's not just go there for the meeting. Let's also set up other things. Uh So Michael's really good with geography. I'm not. So we asked my cousin, like, give us all the little, you know, neighborhoods within Manhattan. And we researched different areas and we wrote down like a kind of like a roadmap. Like, okay, today we'll go here and we'll knock on all these doors and we'll do it old school, like, like rolling,
0: cold cold call
1: everyone with the rolling suitcase full of samples. And at the time I also had a bridal legging set and a bridesmaid legging set and I thought that was really going to take off and everyone had said it was like really good but then it's a matter of like getting it out to the masses right and a lot of places were like hesitant and buying it because it's a very specific item and it's like they really wanted to do a made to order which didn't make sense for us financially. But so we go and we like walk the streets of New York in the middle of the summer. It's hot, like we're sweating, whatever. Like we're just bound in a term. We're like,
0: we're going to get this crazy deal. Yeah. And, you know, like we're optimistic, obviously, which is how you should think.
1: Yeah. Remember but- we went to like, so we went to like Office Depot. We had like a notebook last minute. Oh, yeah. And we're like printing it out and we're like trying to get everything together. And then I left it with them. So stupid. Like Michael's like, you're going to see all their, de- they're going to see, you're going to see their designs. We-
0: I came up with some funny, like, slogans for their brand and like they could they could actually you know put those on their shirts and things we left all that with them and i'm like this is huge market." that was like the
1: stupidest mistake don't ever leave your collateral so we did so we get into the meeting it was like really informal it was in somebody's office we're thinking we went to freaking new york for this like and we're not in like some fancy like you know room doing this meeting and it was kind of like we weren't sure you know i mean it was up in the air it wasn't a yes it wasn't a no and so we just kind of went about our business and every night we stay there for like four or five nights, every night we would come back, we would like write emails, like to everybody. I was, I remember one I like falling asleep at the computer because I was like doing these follow-ups and things were starting to look like they might actually come through. Like we had a couple of bit things, um, Kleinfeld's, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're like the, for, for, um, dress, the wedding dresses, they met with us on the spot. Like I had no meeting with them. They literally, their accessory area was closed that day. And we're like, we're leaving tomorrow. And they took us downstairs and met with us on the spot. So we were like, wow, this could be like really successful. Right. But then they wanted made to order. And then, you know, all these other things just weren't coming through. Long story short, we get back home and we have no sales. So we, you know, borrowed the money that we were like, it's from our mentor at the time. We're going to pay you back, which we ended up.
3: So the private label deal didn't come through. Yeah. Nothing went through.
1: through. So but that at that point we knew that something needed to change like these people were opt- like happy and liked our stuff in front of us but it wasn't memorable enough for them to like want it when we left so like what's the missing link here well the thing that we really came to to the conclusion of is that when you have a really crowded market you need to have a differentiator if you don't then you need to have a lot of money to just pour into it for like marketing and get celebrities and all of that kind of stuff it's going to cost you a lot of money so if you're on a shoestring like bare bones budget like us and not taking out any investment like it's really really challenging if you're just another what we like to call now which i was in denial about for a really long time is what it's called a me too brand if you're a me too brand you're not going to you're going to have a long road ahead of you yeah.
3: So that- Did you ever consider uh, looking for outside investment? Like, did we, we ever, did you have that sort of confidence in the in the brand and the product where you're like, yeah, you know, let's let, let's try that. We, I don't think we would no. have not entertained it, but we at the time,
0: I think we were confident that we needed to figure out if this was even going. I don't know, like I think. I we think were just, I, I
1: wasn't. I didn't ever think about. You know what it is? I don't think I was thinking about outside investment because I knew for what I just said, like about the differentiator. I, th- I think. In my gut, I knew it was gonna be very hard to get investment in something that wasn't that different, even though I worked really hard to get like high quality fabric and good fits and I was a fanatic about it all. Like that didn't matter, that wasn't good enough, you know?
4: I'm just in awe of your resourcefulness and your, and your gumption to make this work. You know, you mentioned that you, know, you had to borrow money. You maxed out credit cards, started taking out debt you sold a dresser to be able to afford plane tickets. You were eating pasta and bagels, which for some people that's, that's, that's a real diet, but, but let's be honest, you can't really subsist on pasta and bagels alone. Although my five-year-old will, will test that any day. (laughs) Tell us about the strain on the marriage at this point. You know, we, we talked a lot about the business. We want to talk a little bit about the pleasure, the love, or maybe the lack of pleasure that was happening in your lives because of the financial strain and the stress that the business was going through. Can you guys, and maybe Michael, you could you could talk a little bit about what, because, you know, you were, you were you guys, now you mentioned Napa being in the wine industry. So kind of tell us a little bit about how you maintained your relationship through such pressures. And it sounds like serious financial distress that you guys were going through. How did that affect the marriage?
0: Well, so we were really strong when I went to Napa. We knew that we had to have a positive look on the situation. But we also realized towards the end of my time in Napa that we missed each other. We were really lonely.
1: We missed each other the whole time.
0: We needed, needed, yeah, but we needed like like at that point because yeah. the internship is is just a temporary thing, right? And we knew that we were it was like, okay, this is not gonna be the thing that we're gonna be doing because we're actually not even, you know, at this point we're not even sure we're gonna live in California. And so on my way to California, I stopped in Scottsdale, which I found like Scottsdale's a reasonable place to move and get a reset move and refresh. And so we decided, okay, let's just instead of moving to California we'll go ahead and move to Scottsdale and start fresh there. And yeah, you know what? The years that came after were a little, were a little difficult. I'm not going to lie. Even
1: before we moved to Scottsdale, like it yeah. was just, there were times I'll just say like, I don't mean to like, interrupt you, no. there just times that I think we forget because we've grown in the, on the other side of everything, we've grown stronger together. Right. But there were times that would break the things that happened and the stresses that we went through would break most couples apart. And, you know, it's easy to point the blame like at each other Mm -hmm. when you are in that kind of distress and you can't afford to barely have your groceries or your basic needs met, then your back is up against the wall. And it's like, well, you did this. Well, you could have done this or, you know, and it was, it's back and forth. And I think, like I said, I think that we, you know, we kind of look back at that sometimes, but I think it's hard, you know, we have to kind of take ourselves back to that moment because we used the move here in Scottsdale, which we're about to be moving away from. Like we used these last three years as like a reset for everything. Our business, our relationship, everything. And so we had to get away from opinions, people that we knew, nothing. Like just in order to like grow stronger together. In
0: 2018, I think it was 2018, 2019 maybe. We actually returned an engagement ring because we, ha- we couldn't- Anniversary. An anniversary, not, sorry. Anniversary yeah. band because we couldn't afford to pay our rent and we didn't have money to, you know, eat. And it was like, okay, well, we're gonna have to let this go so that, you know, but we were still strong, like we were totally strong, even though we were struggling, it was tough. And, you know, here we are looking back on it and we're like, man, if we can go through, you know, closing down a business, traveling across country, 3000 miles, being away, missing each other. Like, yeah, we miss each other the whole time. I think it was just when I'm, Earlier I was mentioning like as we got closer towards the end of that internship, it was just like, okay, we really want to kind of be back together and figure out like this next move from here. And now we're looking back on everything and we're like, wow, like if, if we can make it through this, like we'll make it through anything. And if people are listening and going through stuff, like just keep going because you can make it through.
1: You just have to communicate and like communication isn't always easy when you're in a lot of stress we're not perfect at it. I mean, but we've learned what pushes each other's buttons. And we also have learned, like how to kind of stray away a lot of the time now, like 99.9% of our arguments are petty. And we just look at each other. And like, it's a point where we just start laughing. We're like, what are we arguing about? And we get to that point. But it's taken us we've been married, you know, we've been together for 12 years married for eight. It's not always been that easy to like brush off an argument. And I'm not saying that every time it's super fast. But I think that when you start to like appreciate everything that we've been together through and that we've come out on the other side and we still have a lot of growing in a lot of places, we you know, things that we want to accomplish. Right. But at the same time, it's like just pushing through together. And if you can make it out on the other side, then you're like, you come out like 10 times stronger. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, your, your love is clearly stronger than gold. Cause if you can withstand all of that, making these giant sacrifices in your personal comforts in the in your pleasures in life like food which to me is a huge pleasure and moving across country and being separated and having to sell jewelry which you know for some people it's no big deal but for other people it's just, it's a big symbolic thing and and I You guys are just tremendous. You're an amazing example. You're just a wonderful couple that we're so glad to have on the show today. And in general, I think your story of resilience and strength and bonding even through the tough times is one that is going to really resonate with people because let's face it, 2020 has been a hell of a year and everybody has been affected by it in some way or another, some very big ways, some very minor ways. But the truth is we're all going through some major... Uh, craziness right now, and I think that your story of sticking through in the storm—you know, in the eye of the storm—is is a really beautiful one, and one that shows a lot of strength and commitment in your love. So, thank you so much for sharing that.
3: I do want to make sure we transition and talk about your your new business. Before we do, I want to ask: through that tough time that we just talked about, what's the like the one major lesson that you guys took away? And then, what's a recommendation that you would have for people going for a couple that's in business going through a, t- through a time like that?
0: I totally feel like I know right away what it is. We may be thinking the same thing. Being being able to recognize when to pivot and doing it so- and doing it right away—that's
1: exactly what I was gonna say. I swear, that's <laughs> funny.
0: Yeah, yeah no, pivot, pivot, yeah. pivot right away. Recognize it early, because like it's it's kind of like a wave, right? If you can see it, like your intuition will kind of lead you. If you can see it ahead of time and you know it's coming, pivot. Don't wait till the last minute. Don't let your ego or your pride get in the way. Pivot and, you know, trust your gut. Go with your gut and it's going to be a lot better in the long run. And I think the one thing we didn't do with the first business is we just didn't pivot right away. We were just trying to be, you know, we were just thought we could just deal with it.
1: I think the one thing, to, I was totally going to say that, so to, like, to kind of go off of, along with that is that, the pivoting is not quitting so you can pivot and it doesn't mean you're quitting so i struggled with this personally i you know really i'm very type a And I really, you know, when I've people that like doubt me, I'm like, well, I'll show you, like, I'm going to prove you. Really? That
4: That did not, that did not come through at all on this (laughs) podcast. Like I I did not get that at all.
0: Yes. (laughs) I live with it every day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just like very opinionated. I've got, I've, I've learned when to like tone it down as, as I've grown, but at the same time, like I'll, you know.
0: Happy wife, happy life.
1: (laughs) So I think that the big thing is like I had ego involved. I didn't want to quit because I didn't want to pivot because I felt like that was quitting. And I think that when your gut is telling you that this may not be the thing that's going to be like your end all be all, even if that's what you thought in the beginning, it's okay. And it doesn't matter if you don't know the next move, just trust the process and kind of put focus in what you want to accomplish. And eventually that will come into fruition, kind of like what happened with our new business. I Mm -hmm. think it's just a matter of, just trusting the process and not wanting to be there so quickly. I mean, I am guilty of this. I want, you know, to get there like already. My god, like we've been in this, you know, rat race of ups and downs and everything in between for the last 5 years, but when you listen to a, re- a lot of really successful entrepreneurs that have made, you know, sold companies for millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, they all go through Things that we may not even realize, like before they got to a point, they might've went through three or four businesses and that's okay. The biggest thing I would say as a word of advice, along with the pivoting is as long as you don't give up, then it's okay if you pivot 10 times. So you hit the jackpot, right? Like just don't give up. And that is the key. Mm -hmm.
4: Absolutely. And boy, do I resonate with that sentiment of, why aren't we there yet? Why, we've been working so hard? We've been putting our blood, sweat and tears into this. Why is it not taking off? And And you know, you touched upon this earlier in the conversation about your your, you know, your clothing brand, we are living in a world of the internet which is very democratizing in many ways because it allows many people to have a voice and to do something and to be something but it also is very tough because there's a lot more people out there the market is crowded there's a lot of people doing a similar thing if not the same exact thing and uh and and that can be very tough and that can be very demoralizing for an entrepreneur but i think your advice of pivoting is not quitting is a huge one. We have not heard that yet on the podcast, and I really like it. And I think that it really will resonate with a lot of people, especially going into uh, or hopefully coming out of 2020 and into a better year ahead. But like we were going to do earlier, let's talk about his and her bars. So this, I mean, this
3: is mixing business with pleasure, and we've got the creators of the you know world's first aphrodisiac bar. So tell us about that. Like, tell how did how did this come to be, and how did you how do you pivot from Clothing to nutrition, I guess you could say. Take it away.
1: (laughs) So we, Michael and I, live very holistically. And we believe in doing everything the natural route. And so when I didn't know what my next move was, I wrote- Except,
4: except for the bagels, which we won't ever talk about ever again. I mean, again. yeah. When, when, we when won't talk about to it.
1: Shove, like you gotta, you gotta survive. So that doesn't count in the survival mode, but in like the thriving mode, we yeah. like to like juice and eat super healthy. And I like bagels still, you, there's cheat days. It doesn't, not, you know, that has to be there. So I wrote down an intention. To create a product that would be regularly consumed and better the lives of other people in January 2019. Had no idea what this looked like. So I was like, okay, it'll come to me. And this is all about what we said, trusting the process. So about 10 months later on a run, because Michael and I like to run a lot together, the idea came to me about his and her bar. Now in the beginning, his and her bar wasn't an aphrodisiac bar. And we'll get into a little bit of a plot twist in a second as we're like kind of in like of a baby pivot right now we're doing the bar still it's just it's just a little bit of a pivot um so basically i was like oh my gosh this is it we're going to create this bar and originally it was going to be a bar for him and a bar for her with ingredients that were good for each um, person it wasn't necessarily a couple's bar but it was like his and her then we were like started to talk about at this time we weren't really financially able to even like start something grassroots we were trying to like build some savings and so we kind of like talked about the idea and like started to formulate exactly the specifics of it. And over time, Michael was like, well, let's do an aphrodisiac bar. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, I love this. This is amazing. So I started researching ingredients for aphrodisiac bars. And we were working in a restaurant. And then in March, you can guess what happened. We got furloughed. And we chose the restaurant because it was very flexible. And we could build a business without having to, like, worry about a demanding job. And I really didn't want to go back to the corporate world. So um, we actually worked in the same restaurant. Um, There's
0: nothing sexier than this girl carrying a tray of martinis. Let me tell you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. I
4: know Know that. Well, um, you got you guys take this idea of mixing business with pleasure <laughs> really full on. Because for those listening, go to their Instagram page because your photos are wow sexy. But let's get back to the story. Yeah.
1: So yeah, no, so we, so we decided to do the aphrodisiac bar. One thing, here's a little tidbit of business advice that I learned is to not always share your idea when it's in the infant stages, because you may or may not like the people's opinions. And a lot of the time, if you get people's opinions too early on, it can keep you from starting the business in the first place. I get really excited when I have ideas, right? Um, But it was really hard for me to keep this to myself, but thankfully it was Michael and I talking amongst ourselves we kept this business to ourselves idea as we were like formulating the details of it for six months. And when we got furloughed, we were like, okay, like at first we were trying to get other jobs, like, cause we, no one knew what to expect. Right. Like, and I've had this problem before, ever since I've become an entrepreneur. Like it's, I feel like I'm, Like I have this like word on my forehead that says I'm unemployable or something. And I, it's, it's really hard. I never used to have that hard of a time getting a job, but I took it as a sign is like, we need to focus on this right now. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. And so it's been challenging because in a normal world, we would be sampling everywhere. We would be like doing events everywhere, just like we did with our previous business. But because, you know, of the limitations right now, that's challenging for us. And that's one of the biggest things in launching a food product is like you want people to try it, right? Not everyone is going to be open to, you know, um, buying a 12 pack online. And the reason why we have to do it 12 or, you know, 12 or more is because with shipping and the way we ship it and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't make sense financially. We would lose money if we sent them out individual. Right. And so it's just been, it's been challenging, but we've also been like taking in feedback and in the right ways, right? So we're grounded as a business. But we're not saying that, you know, once you get feedback, that we're not opposed to shifting when we feel need.
0: Yeah, totally. Like we, just like I said earlier, like we, we're embracing a pivot if we have to. We're not planning on pivoting, but, you know, right now we're kind of in the midst of that.
1: Yeah. Do you want us to
4: tell you? <laughs> okay. Yes, so please. We're in a, yeah. we're in a cliffhanger. Keep we on need toes to, there. Yeah, I, I, I have a good um, I have a good question, but I will save it until we hear this cliffhanger because we need to hear it. And I'm going to okay. eat my bar while you talk. <laughs> okay.
1: So every ingredient has a natural level of aphrodisiac. However, um, when you go the natural route, it's not going to be like this instant gratification product. And we've been very transparent about that. But at the same time, we live in a world where people do want instant gratification. We're not instant gratification kind of people as far as the food product, I feel like you fuel your body with the right nutrients. Over time, you reap the rewards, right? So on that aspect, it's good. People, we have gotten... Like ninety nine percent of people that have tried the bar love it. The only ones that haven't is if they are really sensitive to spice. And I then I understand. Like if you're, it's not super spicy, but it has that little kick at the end. So if spice is not your jam, like this is not the bar for you. And, and I, th-
4: those uh, are not my people. Let me just say, if you don't <laughs> like spice, yeah, you're yeah. not my people. You don't like right?
1: spice, yeah. So that's what makes it That's what makes the taste different, right? Because it has a little bit of a tiny cayenne kick at the end. And so the taste we're we on with that, but the thing that we're hearing right now is that people are really hesitant about the aphrodisiac part. I never anticipated this, but like we have talked to some retailers and they like the taste, everything about it, except for the marketing aphrodisiac part of it. We're kind of in a little bit of a like, I don't know, with the best word to say without sounding corny, like pickle. I don't know. We're just trying to like navigate through it because it's been something we've been hearing. More and more, and also that um, it's his and her, and you know, there's other relationships out there, and we're not opposed to you know, same sex relationships at all. It's just we created a brand that was based on what we do as a couple, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to leave people out, yeah. And so, you have to like, I think we're trying to like navigate through this in the midst of moving across country and like. Once we move, like we're going to be, we're talking to like manufacturers. So once we do get big orders, like, or, like for a big box retailer, we have a co-packer making it. Like we're doing all these like transitions right now um, as we're, our house is literally all packed up and we're moving in 48 hours. And we're just trying to figure out like, okay, we're open to suggestions. Like if the aphrodisiac part is something that is going to be challenging I'm okay with a challenge, but if it's going to be a major roadblock where it's keeping us from getting in consumers' hands, we need to think about this, mm-hmm. right?
4: That is some brilliant wisdom that you guys just shared with us because, first of all, th- to me, the, the word aphrodisiac didn't scare me at all. Um, but in when you put it in context of his and
3: but we do have a podcast called Mixing yeah, Business. We with do. We do, yeah.
4: <laughs> we do. You know, Mike doesn't say much, but when he does, it's really good. Oh, man.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I love you, babe. It sounds like, if I'm reading between the lines, that you guys might consider different packaging or different messaging, maybe even a different brand for your bar. Is that something that you guys are currently? tinkering with is that is that fair to say yeah it's really
1: hard because we actually i'm gonna say like we've put a lot of like we did some videos like michael wrote a song like we have a theme song for his and her bar but at the end of the day like we're early on enough as much as we have put some money into this like we're early on enough where we're okay with pivoting um i think that we're gonna try to keep his and her bar like the actual word i think it's just about how you market it If it's not necessarily so much geared toward just couples, then you have, then you're not worried about like the other, the other pushback. Right. And I don't know, we're just trying to like navigate it through because we, we have people that love our bar that like have, I'm like asking them for feedback ones that we have been able to do a few events very minimally but a few events and we ask them and um you know some of them they buy the bar and they're not necessarily in a relationship right and they're like I don't care I love the taste of the bar I'm gonna buy it anyway we're just trying to figure out like we're using this time of moving across country to really just it's like a kind of like a reset but not really because I do feel strongly about the bar like we consume bars every day like we're not going to not do a bar. It's just, do we need to tweak our marketing and our message so that it's more acceptable to, you know, we're having a hard time on Facebook, Facebook, like we can't do ads, like anything aphrodisiac, pleasure, anything. It's libido. They libido, don't like it. they don't like it. So there's things that we didn't anticipate.
4: I know that because when I was trying to register mixing business with pleasure on Facebook, it wouldn't allow me to do that. So I had to use an acronym, MBWP, uh for our facebook handle so yeah so i can i can definitely understand that
3: yeah it's interesting that you bring this up because it kind of gets back to one of the things you talked about earlier in the conversation which is you know you don't want to be a me too business and it's sort of one of those things where you know the the retail chains are going okay this is what works in the big box setting we just want you to be like the other 15 or 20 bars we got on the shelves but then in that case yeah you get in but how much are you really gonna? How are you gonna build that brand? On the flip side, you have this thing of okay, if we don't get in, what's our, you know, what's the revenue model? What's the business strategy? How do we do it? So it's it's an interesting connection. You conundrum.
1: actually make really good. I'm actually glad
3: that you mentioned that because yeah. we. We're
1: still gonna do it different.
3: We when we yeah.
0: came into this business, we knew what we had learned from the previous business, and man, if you if you're gonna come in hot like we came in hot with this business, but. We also understand the importance of pivoting at the end of the day.
1: But I think that we're, we're not going to pivot and do like, you know, it's not like we're puppets and we're like, okay, these big box retailers. I'm even like, we're even juggling the the concept of being, you know, strictly d- direct to consumer just online. And with that, we have more flexibility. It's just like the advertising and the outreach and all of that. So we're not, we're definitely, we will not go in as like a just a standalone another protein bar that will not, that will never happen. We're just kind of like tweaking the message and the how message. it can be different, and how I can put together, like, I do the recipes. So, like, I can put together the ingredients to work specifically for her or work specifically for him, which was actually the original idea, anyways. So, it's like almost like taking that step back and trying to figure it out. But I mean, I don't know. We've been through so much. It's kind of like, okay, we'll figure it out, you know? Honestly,
0: like, it's like we probably prefer to have it this way anyway because it keeps <laughs> us on our toes. So, it's like, Fine. Yes and no. Yes. And no. <laughs> Fine. We'll just go through this, you know. Now, but we're we're definitely going through it better because of all the things we've learned. So
4: yeah, I have one question that 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 I wanted to ask. Knowing what you guys have been through in the past, are there things that you plan to do differently this time around with his and her bar? And specifically, I'm thinking along the lines of funding. Or maybe going into like an accelerator type of a program, you know, something that where you might get hooked into somebody in the food industry that might give you guys some ideas or, you know, have you can, what about like Shark Tank, for example? Like, so I'm just curious, what other ideas are are rattling around inside your brain that you're comfortable sharing with us on the air that kind of say to yourselves, hey, we did this the last time it didn't work. We're going to try something new this time.
1: Yeah. So great question. So I think that because we have a food product and we are, you know, we have flexibility to grow as we go, if that makes sense. So we have everything like as we're going to work on everything being lined up so that when we do get big, you know, inflation of orders we're covered and we have everything ready to just hit the button and go. But unlike the clothing brand, I had to manufacture, I don't sew. So I had minimums that I had to meet. With this, you go into a commercial kitchen and make it yourself. It doesn't really, like you can do it minimally in the beginning and spend like a lot less money we're also not buying we're buying inventory as we need it we are buying in bulk but we're not overbuying. like we've overbought i've overbought way too much fabric oh my
0: god we had a so our it spare was, room in our in our house in florida was a, a stock room and so like we bought these big cubes from ikea and it was like 16 feet by 16 or some big box and so like i got a label maker and i put you know this particular legging you know extra small through extra large and then this particular row was this and you walk in the door and you look like we'll look like it was
1: our stock room. and we yeah. we
0: learned after that not going to do that again because that's a that's a horrible overhead that you don't want to find yourself in
1: yeah overhead so we're trying to keep our overhead as minimal as possible which allows us to stay like self-funded if that makes it sense. also allows yeah. you to
0: pivot easier too because when you don't have all the overhead you're like okay i didn't spend thousands of dollars on on this one thing i can easily shift over here and instead of having to worry to death about all that overhead you're you're able to go and and yeah because
1: when you have when i had all those leggings like i had to sell through them and we ended up giving some away to charity we ended up doing some events which was great that we did these events but we really couldn't afford to do them we just did them because we wanted to move on and move past it but it was a very expensive mistake And keeping that inventory low when you're in the food industry, it's a whole nother monster, yes. But the cool thing is, it's a reconsumable, right? Clothing is a commodity. You can look at a healthy food as a commodity, but at the same time, when people like a product, I know for us, like, we rebuy it. It's, we're habitual people, right? So Mm -hmm. you're going to eat it, then you're going to be like, I love it, I'm going to rebuy it. And I think it's just gaining the brand awareness is what we're striving for, along with, okay, do we need to make a little bit of a pivot, but we want to keep the same flavor profile because we've got good feedback on it. I think that's kind of where we're at right now.
4: And I want to say for listeners out there, the His and Her bars, we purchased them. They were not gifted to us. We did not ask for free samples. I bought them because I genuinely was curious about them. And I absolutely genuinely genuinely love them yes so maybe in the future we'll talk about some you know some, yeah. some <laughs> something fun on the podcast but totally. for listeners out there this is a genuine review they are delicious the texture is fantastic i love the fact that they are vegan and and healthy and so please do buy them because they're fantastic
3: so i want to i, I want to talk about a little bit you're talking to two marketers over here so there, i've got like a billion ideas in my head and i'm just going to throw them out at you guys I, I love the brand, and I love the fact that it's niche and differentiated because you guys have definitely created something different. The brand really stands out, the aphrodisiac, whatever people think, whether it's a placebo thing or however it works, The point is is it it definitely differentiates itself. So I'm just like I'm thinking in my head of, could you still create a brand? And like you said, go to direct or consumer. So like, what about looking at either? You guys are both into podcasts already. What about creating a podcast that's relationship focused and bringing on relationship experts that can bring their, their brand into it once, once they share it and that allows you to get there? What about getting on other, there's tons of relationship podcasts out there that have huge followings, getting in there and, and promoting your product directly just through interviews. Maybe you guys have thought about all this stuff, so stop me if you already have. No,
1: we, I mean, I think we have adult shops. Adult um, You know, what's funny is I went to one and they told us since it wasn't an instant gratification thing that they like were not interested. Yeah. Um, I
4: was actually thinking, I was thinking adult stores or yeah, I was thinking of that too. We didn't
0: actually, and when we, so it, it makes sense, right? If you think about it and it's like, oh wow, this could be huge. We never went into his and her bar. So we, we didn't go into his and her bar aphrodisiac. And then when we decided on aphrodisiac, the first thing that came to mind, it, I guess it wasn't sex shops or like adult yeah. stores, right? So then somebody, people are like adult stores and this and that. And so we're like, oh wow, like, but do we wanna do we wanna do that? Or do we- We, we
1: always pictured it as like a Whole Foods product. Yeah, we didn't
0: We didn't plan on, on uh, adult stores. Until.
1: I think that, you know, you have to like do something that feels in alignment with you. And I don't feel excited about pitching adult stores. It's just not my thing. And I did do one just to kind of like test it. But I think that Michael and I want to, another thing is like not having sales from a lack mindset, like, oh crap, we got to pay our bills and this and that. And so, you know, we're looking at it in a different way because we've positioned ourselves so that we're not like going to have to survive, you know, off just the business in the beginning, because that's unrealistic to really think that way. And I learned that lesson the hard way as well. But I think it's just that what excites you and what lights you up, if it's your business, you want to sell to the people that you want to sell to. Not saying anything bad about like sex shops. I just think that it doesn't feel genuine to me, so I can't get excited about pitching them. I would feel like it would just be a simple transaction just to make a quick buck. And I wouldn't be like, Oh my God, guys, I'm in like lion's den. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know Just what I taking mean? Taking my joke. Yeah. We have a joke with lion's den. So anyway, <laughs> <but laughs> that's why I said that. But yeah, I, it's hard. Yeah.
3: I think that's re- it's really important what you say because I think a lot of entrepreneurs I think maybe miss this or you get kind of lost in the business. And like you said, sort of that, that scarcity mindset and you're like, Oh crap, I got to make, I got to make sales. And you, I think it is important to have those values up front and stick to those guns to a certain extent, right? Because otherwise you, you might end up with a business you just hate or just don't love yeah, and yeah. that's never going to be a, re- a recipe for success.
4: I couldn't agree more with you, Mike. And one, one last piece of marketing advice that I would throw out there, whiteboard out who you believe your ideal customers are. What do they look like? What do they wear? Where do they shop? What clothing stores do they go to? What are their hobbies? What are their activities? Really quick, before you kids? get too far on this, I would
3: say rather than just whiteboard it out who you think they are, I mean, I don't know how many sales you guys have made already, but you've got the data. Look at who these people are because you might already You might already have enough information to really get at least who they are and why they're interested. And maybe it's not the aphrodisiac aspect. And if it's not, what is it, right? So that you can, you can, you can use that information to help you with with that pivot rather than just going, Oh, well, this is what the retail guys are telling us. So let's just figure out whatever the next thing is. Totally. Um,
1: I think that a lot of our people have said that have been like return customers and like subscribers and stuff to the bars is the, the fact that they would buy them even if it wasn't Athernesiac. Yeah. And, and like, I would say maybe 60 or 70% of them aren't even in a relationship. Yeah. And so that kind of like tells us a little bit of something, you know? And I also think that we, we were actually up at the pool the other day, my sister was visiting and we were talking to this couple and they were visiting another tenant or resident here. And, um, we told, we talked to them, they were asked talking to us and we were talking about our bar and we're like, Hey, we have samples downstairs. Cause we were, had just done like an event the day before we're like, Hey, we're we have samples downstairs. Um, are you open to trying them? Cause right now we always have to ask because you know, people right now it's kind of a sensitive time. And so they're like, yeah, of course. I was like, all right, I'll go downstairs. I'll g- I'll grab some. And when we were telling them about the brand and they were probably, so they were probably, they were definitely younger early Late 20s. 20s, mid mid twenties, I would yeah, say. Um, And I'm 35, Michael's 38. So like, we're, you know, probably about 10 years younger than us. And they, the first thing that the guy said was my parents would love this. And that stuck to me. And I was like, I feel like we, this may not be like what we think, like our, so once they tried it, they're like, oh my God, I love this bar. And like, she's like, I'm gonna order bars. So I think it's just, then they, then they fell in love with the taste and it's not like they were opposed to the aphrodisiac part, but I think it was like an autopilot thing where he's like, okay, my parents could use this. Like well, I don't like, need sex. Kind of like, like you know? saying like,
0: it, it, so just in, in general, like anybody that's less than 40, for example, there's a good chance that you're probably going to not think you need that because you're young, like, quote unquote, right? And I'm not trying to put, you know, anything on 40 or over or whatever. I'm just using a number, for example. It's an arbitrary number. So, like, maybe the people that really want our bar are going to be people that feel like they need it. I don't know.
4: What I love so much about this conversation is just how open you guys are to changes in your environment and changes in your ideas, and it's very hard as entrepreneurs. You know, our business is our baby, and the vision that we have for our business, the things that we want to do, they they're very personal. And sometimes it's hard as entrepreneurs for us to step outside of our business and look around and say, okay, what are the things that are changing? What are the things that are happening? What's going on in the marketplace? What are my consumers saying? Who are my who are my um, my target audience, and to be able to be comfortable with putting your ego aside, which you guys are, I think you're masters at doing that. I think anyone that listens to this podcast is going to hear that right away. I took time just so you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't yeah. always like this. <laughs> be patient but- with yourself. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think being open to new ideas, being open to flowing into different ways of where your business can go and pivoting. You guys have made pivot sort of a key word for this podcast and I really love that. Gosh, I feel like we could keep talking and we didn't even really talk much about Michael's wine podcast, which I wanna put a little bit of, uh, share a little bit with us like a 30 second yeah. about the podcast because I would love to um, learn more about your experience in wine.
0: Oh, totally. So my podcast is basically a direct reflection on the journey of the winemaker. So a lot of times people will buy a bottle of wine and they'll love the wine for whatever reason, but they won't know about the person that made the wine. And, you know, working in Napa Valley, I had an opportunity to be around a lot of influential people in the industry, but I realized that I didn't really know much about them. And their entrepreneurial journey, if you will, there's a lot of ups and downs and everything in between and, you know, the wine industry is a very story driven industry as well. And so what I do is I interview the winemakers or the owners of brands and we just kind of go down their personal life journey of how they got to where they are today. And it's fascinating, you know, hearing the, the people and their stories and their resilience and their ups and downs. And, you know, thinking about harvests and the challenges of harvests and climate and fires and maybe heat spikes during harvest or rain during the winter and things like that that really affect every vintage. So it's a it's a crazy podcast of all of the stories and everything, but it's a really fascinating thing and people find themselves relating whether they're in the wine industry or not.
4: That's awesome. We've vacationed several times in Napa. That's been some of our best vacations. Same with Scottsdale. Scottsdale and Napa are like our two favorite places to visit. And and Florida, interestingly enough. Because we have a lot of family in Florida, so we end up going at least once or twice a year. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I have loved every bit of it. You've dropped some major wisdom here today that I think is going to be very valuable to entrepreneurs in 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 many different ways, entrepreneurs that are going through challenging times and figuring that out with their spouse or their partner, and also entrepreneurs that have a viable product that have spent a lot of time putting their hard earned, money, time, sweat, everything into it, but then trying to figure out where that fits in the marketplace and how do they evolve that product. And so you've shared some really fabulous information with us.
3: I think that's a perfect transition to our final question. What's the one piece of advice that you would give to couples looking to start a, a business together? If you had to summarize one piece of advice.
1: I have something. Or do you want to think, or do you have something? No, say it. I think that it's to realize what your separate, we didn't even touch on this, mm-hmm. but this is big, you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, I know what you're um, now. Realize your strengths, um, because I'm guilty for this. Sometimes I would want Michael's, my strengths to be Michael's strengths, but honestly, it's a bigger asset as you know owning a business together if you have separate strengths, and you can have some similar, that's okay. But if you play off of each other's strengths, that's huge right so i'm the big picture visionary like okay in two years we're gonna have this in five years michael's more like one step in front of the other very and, analytical
0: I'm, yeah i'm very numbers kind of like it's got to be i'm a very specific thinker in very, very short term i don't I, i'm not opposed to long term but jennifer's more of the big picture kind of person and he
1: kind of like I, br- I bring him to one level he brings me we kind of balance each other out and like the things i don't have patience for like he does and vice versa and when you learn and you, you know and you play off each other's strengths i would say that is huge mm-hmm. because we didn't really really like do that well at first until we kind of like realized okay wait you have this i have this
4: let's play off of this michael any thoughts on the question
0: jennifer pretty much nailed it i mean I just want to make sure that we're on the record. Jennifer said that she had a problem with this at first. And so now that we know, we're all, now. I'm joking. So, but yeah, no, um, I think it's very important. And I'm glad that she mentioned that. I think that I embrace her strengths. You know, the things that she's really good at, I'm actually not interested in being good at. So it takes away the, the pressure. And she's not interested in the things that I'm really strong at. Like putting together a spreadsheet and knowing how much, you know, money we've invested towards this and towards that and, you know, looking at the big picture and, and then breaking it down for every week or month or whatever. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I actually, I enjoy that because I'm able to kind of see that and manifest, okay, if we did this in this amount of time, how can we, how can we do more in, you know, another month or how can we expand and grow? Because I feel like I can see growth through, you know, through time or through numbers, right? Right. And so the the excitement of, I guess, the challenge to grow is what excites me about doing all of that. And when I was in school and I was a kid, I hated math. And maybe I'm just maybe I'm actually embracing it now that I'm older and I'm like, wait, why did I hate it? You know, but I think just being able to like appreciate each other's strengths Mm -hmm. is is huge when you're going into business.
1: And like forgiving each other and not pointing the blame. If you're like you're not always going to see eye to eye. So just about letting the differences aside, it's not always easy, Um, but just kind of coming together at the end of the day, because being in business together is not easy. You have to be strong and you have to be willing to go through everything together.
0: And she's gotten better, so I mean,
4: <laughs> so that's good. That's good. We can only hope for improvement of ourselves and of our partners. You know, that's one thing that we we learned uh, that I learned in particular is I can't make Mike the way I want him to be. He's got to be who he is, and we've got to grow and learn together. And so I think that's also very applicable to you guys, and applicable, I think, to everybody out there that's in a relationship, whether you work with your partner or not. Accepting them for who they are and encouraging them to grow and explore who they want to be is the best way to live as as a couple and as and as partners. Now, this is truly the last question, and then we'll wrap it up. So this is a question we ask all our couples. Jennifer, you will answer about Michael, and Michael, you will answer about Jennifer. What is the one thing or quality that each of you bring to your business and to your life that you couldn't do without?
1: Michael grounds me. I will say that for sure. When he was in Napa and he, he wasn't there, I was like, you know, I'm very independent, but at the same time, like, I can't live, I couldn't imagine my life without Michael. So I would say that, and then business too. Um, I would say- either,
4: like, either or doesn't, you know, you can pick one, do both. He makes our bars.
1: I couldn't <laughs> I, mean, I, I actually did the recipe. He's the bar master, so yeah, so yeah. that.
0: Yeah, and you know, for me, Jennifer is a very inspiring person. Um, she's inspiring through, she has very thick skin, but in in a good way. Like Jennifer has inspired me like on a personal level to be a better version of myself when it has nothing to do with business or to have more confidence, for example. And she's shown me where I can stand up for myself, I guess, in times because when I was in the fire service, the reason I was let go from the fire service wasn't because I was a really hard worker, it wasn't because I was getting certified and all these things, it was because I wasn't able to connect with the guys in the department. And you know, for that reason, I was let go. And you know, Jennifer has always been there to like, strengthen me and to show me that I have so much more to offer than you know, circumstances or events. She's, so also, she's also incredible in business. So, things that I've never understood about business are like, sometimes I'm like, help me with this email. Like, say this for me. Like, I'm because I'm reaching out to people about different things with my podcast. And I'm just like, please don't get mad at me. I can do this myself, but you're just so good at this. So, like, when she writes it, it's like the heavens and the gates open up. I'm like, how did you say that? It's so simple because I had to draw it out and make a big deal out of it. And it's just, She's very inspiring, and she's also very good in business, and I learned from her in business, and that makes me a better business person as well.
1: You totally taught me on that one, but that was really sweet.
4: <laughs> uh, that was beautiful, and I we have been told that being on our podcast is kind of like an aphrodisiac because it makes <laughs> you re- realize... Just how special the bond you have is with your partner, and and yeah. you reflect on each other's strengths. And I think there's nothing sexier than recognizing a strength in your partner. And and so you know, we've been told that mixing business with pleasure <laughs> is yeah. like an aphrodisiac. We've also been told it's like the best free therapy that couples have been on too. Yeah. So I, I, um, I
1: think it's awesome. Yeah, talk it out. Totally. Talk it out.
4: So thank you guys so much. We have so enjoyed this conversation. We've learned so much from you guys. I've enjoyed munching on my bar throughout <laughs> throughout the podcast. Uh,
3: you, you were you were munching secretly. I was gonna say we should do like a live taste test, but all right. Oh,
4: I I already went for it. You already well, ate yours. I well, I have just a little nibble left. Okay. But thank you guys so much. We've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been fun. There's been drama. There's been cliffhangers. We've learned so much from your journey. We have seen your resilience and your commitment to each other and to your love and your uh, passion for being business owners. So thank you guys so much. We wanna keep in touch. We'd love to hear your story and the evolution of the his and her bar. And in the interim, we're gonna keep on eating our his and her bars. And um, we thank you guys so much.
3: Try the bars, they're delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was a fascinating conversation. We love talking to couplepreneurs who have built successful businesses. And one of the keys to a successful business is effective marketing. Luckily, Gabby and I run a B2B digital marketing agency called Proofpoint Marketing. Our team specializes in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas. And using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. We are offering a free consultation for our listeners. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you.
2: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mixing Business with Pleasure. We hope you'll join us next week as we feature another pair of co-founders who are also lovers, and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.